Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to my sermon podcast. It's good to be back with you again as we come to the close of our Advent sermon series and, of course, um, head into the Christmas uh, or Christmas Eve services. And I will be, uh, I think, putting up a podcast uh, for that sermon too. But for today, let's take a look at two. I'm going to read two different passages, both from the Gospel of Luke. The first one comes from Luke 2, verses 1 through 7, and then we're going to jump over to Luke 18, verses 15 through 17. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And now hear these words from Luke 18. People were bringing even infants to Jesus, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they sternly ordered them not to do it. But Jesus called for them and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. May God's blessing be on the reading, hearing, and living out of this word. So as I record this, we are five days away from Christmas, and the excitement, I'm sure, among young ones is building. There's that uh, palpable palpable excitement that children feel, especially if they have Advent calendars at home and they're counting down to the big day. And I remembered having that same feeling of excitement myself on many Christmas Eves. I couldn't get to sleep, doing my best to try to do so, uh, and... Uh, sometimes was able to, and sometimes not so much. I remember one year in particular, um, I don't remember if my parents had told me what the magic number was to that we could wake up, if it was six or seven or something like that. But I remember I was, uh, we were spending the, the night, this was Christmas Eve at my grandparents' home. And we were also there with uh, my aunt and her son, my cousin, Tim. And So Tim and my brother and I were in a room and just could not get back to sleep. And so we had this great idea. Uh, Let's get up really early in the morning. This is all my memory, of course. I may be wrong on this, but let's get up really early and uh, or earlier than what we were supposed to get up and just just tell our parents that it's six o'clock. And so I think we got up about four or four thirty or so, told them it was time to get up. And for whatever reason, they didn't check their clocks. They believed us. And so we decided to uh, go ahead and open all of the presents. I finally was found out, however, because I got a watch. This was back in the probably late 70s or so, and so just the early days of digital watches. And so I got a digital watch, which was very exciting. And then my dad went to set the time, and that's when I had to uh, confess what we had done. I don't remember. I'm assuming that my parents thought it was all in good fun. I don't remember Uh, being chastised for doing that. But again, it goes to show just the excitement that children have uh, when thinking about Christmas Day 
and that sense of awe and wonder that we all talk about. What would it, what's it like to, to capture that feeling, not only during Christmas, but all times of the year? Well, again, we are coming to a close of this sermon series that we call Do You See What I See, where we are doing our best to try to look at the familiar Christmas story through the eyes of different individuals. A few weeks ago, we looked at what it would like look like for angels to uh, what they would be seeing and experiencing. And we looked at King Herod last week. Uh, we looked at Mary and Joseph, particularly Joseph. Today, interestingly, and this is one I don't think I've ever preached before, we are doing our best to try to look at this through the eyes of Jesus, which will be challenging, of course, because this is an infant, a baby that we are talking about. But perhaps a little bit more broadly, we are trying to get a sense of what would it, what's it like to experience this event through the eyes of a child. And not just this event, but perhaps more than this too. What would it be like for our faith to see things as a child sees them and experience them as a child experiences them? Now, today, when we think about children, this is not that uh, it's not an uncommon thing to say if only we could experience our faith if only we could experience things like like a child does but i wonder just how seriously we mean that when we say it and how we really stop and reflect and what does that mean because i think sometimes when we think about children in our society in our church of course everybody says that we want to honor children that we want to uh, make children a high priority in how we educate them and how we care for them. Sometimes we even romanticize them. But at the end of the day, I think perhaps what we do is maybe we talk a good talk and maybe pat children on the heads. I think about this particularly at church and we talk about how we all want a robust children's ministry. But in the end, we want to make sure that they're out of sight and out of mind, that they're doing their thing, that they're learning and experiencing all the childlike things out of sight so that we don't hear them or experience them. And at times we may ignore them altogether. So I guess the challenge for myself and for all of us is, if we say this, if we mean that we want to really experience our faith through the eyes of a child, are we serious about that? Are we really going to take the time to have that kind of empathy, to do that kind of work, to truly get a sense of who children are and how they experience things. Well, as we look at the text today, I think it might be helpful to reflect a little bit on how children were seen at the time that this was all happening. Now, certainly, as I noted earlier, we're, we're trying to get a sense of what a, a, a child might have been experiencing the birth uh, or in this birth story. But it might be as important to look at what I read from Luke 18. Again, this is a a familiar story in the scriptures, and I've seen many children's Bibles with the picture of Jesus gathered with the children, and it's a popular thing to to think about and portray in, in art. But when we do so, I think we lose a little bit of the edge here that's happening when Jesus truly accepts the children into his midst. Of course, we see in this uh, passage that the disciples, that others around there did not want Jesus to be interacting with the children. Again, they had kind of a out of sight, out of mind, like children are better 
experienced at arm's length, if not at multiple arm's lengths. They were really seen, scholars tell us, children were really seen as non-persons, non-entities, not even to say something like, we honor children and children are, are a wonderful example for us. They didn't even do that. Children were non-persons, which makes Jesus' invitation here to let children, non-persons, come into him uh, pretty remarkable. Think about it today. If you were to, to name who are groups of people that society deems as like non-persons, meaning we don't even see them or we ignore them or we become so used to them that we don't truly believe that these are true uh, flesh and blood. These are people who have stories, who, whose hearts pump, whose lungs fill in with air. You can probably think of some folks in your communities Certainly, we can name people who are experiencing homelessness. Certainly, in Chicago, we are so used to seeing them that we treat them as non-entities. And so, this is the radical thing what Jesus is doing when he invites these non-persons into his midst. And also, in so doing, when he begins to come into or allow them to come into his space... He's also making it possible for the women who had the responsibility of caring for them to also hear Jesus' teaching. Women placed maybe just a little bit above children, but again, essentially kind of non-persons in this time. So that makes this passage, I think, even more remarkable. That Jesus is saying, these children are honored. This, These non-persons that you portray that you identify, these are the ones to whom the kingdom of God belongs, how we see the world through their eyes. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. I think maybe one of the messages that Jesus is saying here is to, in a sense, remember that we were once children and what that was like. Maybe Jesus had that ability to remember that he was no doubt loved as a child by his own parents too and by the relationship he had with his Father in Heaven. I was uh, reading an article a few weeks ago in the Atlantic magazine about uh, Mr. Rogers. Of course, the popular movie that I got a chance to see uh, is Sweeping the Nation, and it was based on a relationship that Mr. Rogers had with a uh, magazine writer named Tom Junid. And... Mr. Rogers takes a real interest in Tom's life because of an article that he wrote when several years ago when, when Fred Rogers was alive. And it's based on that relationship. That's what this movie is all about. And this article that he recently wrote, some fascinating things, particularly as how Mr. Rogers not just treated children, but how we are to be relating not just to children, but how we too are to remember that we were children once. He tells the story, Tom tells the story about when he first visited the studios where they shot the TV show and he talked with one of his, with one of Mr. Rogers' in-house writers, a woman named Hedda Sherapan. And she told Tom the story that Mr. Rogers had asked her to write a manual that was intended to teach doctors how to talk to children. And she worked hard on it. She used her own education Uh, her experience in the field of child development. And so she gave that to him. And when she gave it to him, 
that he crossed out everything that she had written and replaced it with six words. And he replaced it by saying, you were a child once too. That is the thing that Mr. Rogers wanted adults to remember when interacting, inter, uh, uh, interacting with children, to remember, you were a child once too. And then continuing, Tom Junid continues in this article, and he writes this. He says, that's it, really. His message, Mr. Rogers' message to doctors was his message to politicians, CEOs, celebrities, educators, writers, students, everyone. It was also the basis of his strange superpowers. He wanted us to remember what it was like to be a child so that he could talk to us. He wanted to talk to us so that we could remember what it was like to be a child and he could talk to anyone, believing that if you remembered what it was like to be a child, you would remember that you were a child of God. I find that very powerful that we talk about what does it mean to be a child of God? And part of that process is we have to remember what it was like to be a child. Think about the qualities of, of children. And again, don't do it in just a superficial way when we think about, oh, isn't it sweet that you know, children are full of life and energy? I mean, really, truly think about it. Think about the qualities of a child. No doubt, hopefully, the qualities that you had as a child, too. Some of them, for me, when I think about it, there's a real sense of vulnerability that children have, a willingness to be dependent, a willingness to trust, much more able and quicker to laugh, to cry, to experience joy, a beautiful willingness to say things at any time and in any place. Often children will speak truth when no one else will. Friends, when was the last time you were truly vulnerable like a child? When was the last time you were truly dependent, that you really trusted someone? Or did we get caught up in thinking, well, I'm an adult now. I have to count on myself. When was the last time you really laughed or really cried? When was the last time you really said something that you felt at the core of your being and didn't worry about what others would think? And maybe this is why we need to be overwhelmed by the audacity of what we call the incarnation. As Christians, we believe that God chose to come to us first as a child. And not just any child. A child who was homeless. A child who was essentially an immigrant. A child born to parents who no doubt heard whispers from others in the community that this was an illegitimate marriage, an illegitimate family. That's, friends, that's how God chose to come into the world. I was reading, or I was reminded the other day about a story that I read a few years ago about a Christmas pageant at an Episcopal church. And as the story goes, the manger was down in the front of the chancel steps and Mary was there in her blue mantle and Joseph was there with the cotton beard and there was a wise man and there were some shepherds and in the midst of it, there was the Christ child lying in the straw. So while all the caster characters were there, the nativity story was being read aloud, carols were being sung 
and it was all going very smoothly until the time that the arra- uh, time that the angels arrived, and they were all there with their white robes scattered, or had or they had been scattered throughout the pews with their parents, and they were all supposed to come forward and gather around the manger and say, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill among all." And that's what they did, except there were so many of them that there was a lot of crowding and jockeying for position. And then because of that, one particular angel, a girl about nine years old, who was smaller than the rest of them, she was so far out on the fringes of things that even when she craned her neck and stood on tiptoe, she couldn't see what was going on. And so all the children sang on cue, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill among all And then there was a pause that followed. And this girl, who couldn't see anything, she was put out on the margins, perhaps like children during Jesus' day. And then in that pause, when the whole congregation was silent, she let her voice ring out, shrill with irritation and frustration and sadness. And she said to all who would hear, let Jesus show. She couldn't see anything. She wanted to be close to where Jesus was. And in the midst of the silence, she cried out, let Jesus show. And as the story goes, the rector of this service, after there was silence, after what this child cried out, the rector stood up, said the benediction, and that ended the service. How can we let Jesus show in our own lives? I think one way to do so is to do our best to try to reclaim, rethink, reflect on the childlike qualities that both you and I have. Of course, it's impossible to know what an infant Jesus was thinking when all of this was going around, the the spectacle of all of the visitors who were there. But we can do our best to try to get a sense of the childlike qualities that we once had. And even if we have done our best to try to hide them away, to bring them back out again, especially in this season when we remember that God came to us as a child. And so maybe, friends, you can reclaim what it means to be totally dependent on someone. And in this case, what does it mean to be totally dependent on God? To trust God? What does it mean to to be filled with laughter at what God might do in our lives or to be brought to tears or to experience the kind of joy that maybe we don't allow ourselves to experience? Or maybe, like a child, we are able to say things that aren't polite, that might make someone uncomfortable and do so at times that are inconvenient and impolite. Maybe that's what we should be doing during this season. And so I hope and pray that you will let Jesus show by allowing yourself to be truly a child of God and all that comes with it. When we do, no doubt, I believe, Jesus will be shown indeed. Amen. Well, friends, thank you once again for listening to this sermon podcast. I am pretty sure I'll be recording something for Christmas Eve, so I'll be 
uh, putting another podcast out in a couple of days. But uh, until then, friends, uh, you can always reach out to me at email christian at urbanvillagechurch.org or my website christiancoon.com where you can read blog posts and hear my other podcast, Failing Boldly. For those of you who are fans of uh, Barbara Brown Taylor, she's a, a pretty popular religious writer for those who aren't familiar with her. I just did an interview with her on my Failing Boldly podcast, so I'd encourage you to go and take a listen to that too. And so until the next time that we're together, may the peace of Christ be with you. <laughs>